Welcome to Rabbi Michael Whitman's weekly podcast, Mining the Riches of the Parsha, where we discuss, using classic and modern sources, the insights of each Parsha that will make a difference in your life. I had the great privilege to uh, spend 10 days in Israel right after Pesach. And one of the things that I was able to do is something that I very much enjoy. As you know, uh, very often I quote a woman who I think is one of the great Torah teachers today. Her name is Sivan Rahav Meir. And she teaches a weekly Torah portion class in Yerushalayim at uh, the great synagogue. She usually gets about four to six hundred people every week. But she doesn't make chalant. <laughs> so, you know. What's important? I've had the privilege to attend her class a, a, a couple of times. She's an incredible teacher. And I want to start by sharing with you a piece of what I heard her deliver. Of course, it relates to last week's Torah portion, the Parsha of Kedoshim. And if you can open your, page, your Chumash to page 656, we're going to take a look at that, and then we're going to move to discussing this week's Torah portion. <coughs> While I was in Israel, an event took place, the opening of the new Knesset session, and the new members of Knesset were uh, initiated uh, to the Knesset. It's a whole ceremony. And this photograph that I passed around, please take a look. So this photograph was in a lot of the news. Maybe you saw it. So let me just describe what this is. So you see a man who is in a suit and a tie uh, bowing and kissing the feet of this woman who is his mother. And she is dressed in traditional Ethiopian garments. So that man is a new member of Knesset, Gadi Yevarkan, who has been uh, an advocate and an activist for Ethiopian Jews in Israel. And he was elected to the Knesset. And this photo is in the Knesset as part of the session, as, as, as part of the ceremony of opening the new term of Knesset. So Sivan brought this photo and she discussed the following lesson that comes from it. She said, the main message of this photo is that we should not forget where we came from. And we owe a big thank you to previous generations. Gadi himself said the following words. He said, 
all of this, his new position, his role in society, all of this is thanks to my mother. And he expressed it in what was for him a traditional way of expressing it. It's not maybe something that we're used to seeing or doing, but it is something from his tradition. And what Gadi is reminding us of in this photo is that we need to behave towards the traditions of our previous generations with humility instead of arrogance and with love rather than embarrassment. To speak not only about children's rights but also about children's responsibilities. So the Parsha of Kedoshim, page 656, begins, Hashem Speak to the entire congregation of Israel, and say to them, Kedoshim to you, be holy. Now the truth is that the entire book of Vayikra, of Leviticus, the third book of the Torah, which we are halfway through already, the entire book is about holiness. And how to achieve holiness. And so far, up till this Parsha, the answer to that question of what is holiness and how do we achieve holiness is answered by the first part of the book of Ayikra. Holiness is elite. Holy people like Aharon and his sons. Holy places like the Mishkan, the sanctuary, and later the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple. And esoteric actions like sacrifices and incense and purity. And suddenly, with that background about what is holiness and and how do we achieve it, with that background, in our Parsha of Kedoshim, there is a radical shift where all of a sudden holiness now becomes something that is to be embraced by every single person. Not an elite. And every single aspect of life not limited to a specific place or a specific time. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out that in our Parsha, Kedoshim Tiyu, be holy, when you start to read the rest of the Parsha of all of the laws and the rules that are contained there, 
is not just an elite. It is life itself that must be sanctified. What we witness here, in other words, is the radical democratization of holiness. From an elite to call Adas B'nai Israel, the entire congregation of Israel. The priesthood, Sack says, was not unique to Israel. Right? There are other religions that have priests. And everywhere, it was an elite. Here, for the first time, we find a code of holiness directed to the people as a whole. We are all called to be holy. And so the mitzvahs that come up in the parsha <coughs> describe for us how to be holy. And you find every aspect of life every kind of activity. Holiness is the way we make our clothes and plant our fields, the way justice is administered, workers are paid, and business conducted. Among all of those steps to holiness there is one that is repeated several times and this is the point that Sivan Rahab Meir makes. Because if you look, please, back on page 656, be holy. So what does it mean? So the first example, Pasuk number 3, Ish Imo V'aviv Tiro, to have reverence and awe and respect for your mother and your father. Later in the parsha, if you turn please to page 664, near the middle of the page, pasuk number 32. Stand up in the presence of an older person. When someone who is older than you that comes into your presence, you should stand up. On the trains and buses in Israel, there are signs that say, Someone gets on the bus or the train that's older than you, you should stand up and give them your seat. The Hadarta And you should show honor to an elder. The way to holiness passes by way of our relationship with those who came before us. And she said in her shear, don't be embarrassed by your roots. Be proud of where you come from. And be authentic to where you come from. And that is what is exemplified by this photo. The first step 
on the path to the democratization of holiness is to be proud of where you come from and to show honor and respect to your parents and your own traditions. So that's the lesson that Sivan Rahab Meir shared about this parsha. I want to move now to this week's parsha. If you turn, please, to page 672. Page 672, the beginning of our parsha, the parsha of Emar. If you look at the top, Pasuk number one. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, Emar el hakohanim b'nei Aharon. Say to the priests, the sons of Aaron. So now we're shifting back. Last week's parsha was addressed to the entire Jewish people, and we're going to come back to that shortly. But this section at the beginning of the parsha is addressed to the Kahanim. Vamarta alehem and say to them, Lenefesh lo yitama ba'amav, a kohen is not allowed to come into contact with a dead body which would render him ritually impure. So this is a very strict mitzvah for a kohen. It is a mitzvah that applies even today. And that has a lot of practical applications for a person who is a Kohen. A person who is a Kohen is not supposed to attend a funeral because they'll be in the same building as a dead body. Not allowed to attend an unveiling because they'll be inside a cemetery. A Kohen is obligated to stay a distance of eight feet away from a grave. A Kohen is not supposed to attend medical school because medical school education since the 1500s involves the dissection of cadavers. That was actually partially the subject of the seminar that I delivered at Hebrew University which was the reason that I went to Israel. That's another topic. That's another hour. We'll, we'll discuss that another time. Even the issue of a Kohen visiting someone in the hospital is a significant issue. If there is a, God forbid, a dead Jewish body or even the probability of a dead Jewish body, it may not be permitted for a Kohen to enter the building of a hospital. Now, the details of all of this are quite complicated and they require a lot of discussion, but this is a requirement. This is a, an obligation for a Kohen that applies even today and it's very serious. But there's an exception. If you look, please, at Pasuk number two. Ki im hakarove love except for, God forbid, the death of an immediate family member. God forbid. Person's mother, father, son, daughter, 
brother, sister, spouse. Then a Kohen is allowed to come into contact to attend the funeral, etc. By the way, but only the funeral. But to attend. Now, I think that on the face of it, I think we could understand that, the reason for that exception, the emotional attachment, the obligation to show honor and concern for immediate family members. So the Torah itself has an exception. A Kohen is allowed to become Tame ritually impure for that specific purpose. I think that's understandable. But there's one more exception. And this exception is indicated in the first Pasuk. Back to Pasuk number one. Vayomer Hashem al-Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, Amor al-Kohanim b'nei Aaron, say to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, say to them, l'nefesh lo yitama, you should not become ritually impure to a person who has died, be'amav, from among your people. What does that mean, from among your people? So if you look at the English commentary on the very bottom of the page, the last line on the right-hand side, among his people. So this is a law that is derived in the Talmud. If the dead person is among the people, continues on the next page, 673, the English side right there, 673, the the commentary on the left-hand side. If the dead person is among the people, meaning that other Jews are there to assume responsibility for the burial, meaning it's not related to you. It's not an immediate family member, God forbid. And there are other people to attend to the burial, then a Kohen may not participate in it. But if the corpse is isolated with no one to care for it, we call that mace mitzvah, a person who has died and it is a mitzvah because there is nobody taking it. It's just a body lying in the, on the ground somewhere and there's nobody taking care of it then it is a mitzvah for whoever can see to that person's burial, then even a Kohen Gadol is required to stop everything and bury it. So that's an exception. If a Kohen comes across a dead body in a field, in a forest, in an isolated place, there's no one else around to help bury this body, it's suffering this indignity, then that's an exception. The Kohen is allowed to attend to it. Yes. That refer the the Talmud explains that refers to a Kohen who was married to someone that he was not allowed to be married to. Normally, a Kohen is allowed to become Tameh if, God forbid, his spouse passes away. However, if, according to Torah law, he was not allowed to be married to her, then he would not be permitted to become Tameh under those circumstances. Mm 
Is all this set aside according to the halachot of war? If someone has no, to... no, nothing is set aside. So, if you're a soldier and you're a Cohen, well, well I, obviously, all the laws of the Torah are set aside if there's a threat to life. Right. Uh, let, let, let's focus here. Okay. Let's focus here. Here's, here's where I want to take you. It's strange that there should be such an exception. Because Mace Mitzvah is, after all, an act that is within the category of chesed. It's an act of kindness. An act of compassion. Person died, no one to take care of the body, so you engage in taking care of the body. It's an act of chesed. But it's interesting, there is no other act of chesed that allows a kohen to come into contact with the dead body. We don't say, for example, let's say, you know, uh, um, you have someone who passed away, God forbid, and, and, um, and the funeral is a paper mins, but nobody's coming. So you feel it's an embarrassment that nobody should be at the funeral. That doesn't allow a Kohen to come to take care of the funeral because you have papermans that's taking care of it. It's not a dead body in the middle of a field that's being left alone. Or let's... If the person is someone that you respect... And you feel that maybe you should go to the funeral, you're a Kohen, but you should go to the funeral and go to the cemetery because of your respect for that person. We don't allow, there's no exception. The Talmud gives another example. Let's say, it's a little bit of a strange example, but let's say a Kohen wants to fulfill a mitzvah, like, like hearing shofar. But the only way, the only shofar that there is, is inside a cemetery. So the only way he's going to be able to fulfill the mitzvah of hearing shofar on Rosh Hashanah is if he walks inside the cemetery. He's not allowed to do so. The, the, the weight of fulfilling the mitzvah of hearing the shofar does not overcome the seriousness of this, of this uh, prohibition. So why is it that any other kind of chesed or kindness, or good deed, or positive commandment, does not allow setting aside coming into contact with a dead body, except for this one case of mace mitzvah, of a dead body, and there's no one to take care of it. So I want to share the following answer. There is something unique out of all of the possible types of kindness, compassion, helpfulness that you can do in life. There is something unique about this mitzvah of mes mitzvah, to attend to a body when there's no one else to take care of it. And that is, it is an act of kindness where there is no recognition and no thanks. We refer to that as chesed shel MS. A chesed, a kindness of truth, of integrity, because you're not going to get anything from it. By definition, I know we have a place, you know, a holy place, chesed shel emes. Okay, so, but this is an actual chesed shel emes, meaning no one's going to know about it. 
No one's going to say thank you. No one is going to recognize you because by definition, the situation is that there's no one else who's going to see. If there was anyone else there to see, you would tell them to take care of it instead of the Kohen. And the benefit of this type of act of kindness is so valuable because it is transformative. And therefore, the Torah accords it the same level of as homage to parents. There is a different feeling that comes from this category of a mitzvah. And it can make you into a different kind of a person. There's a poem by Emily Dickinson. I quote it a lot. I quote a lot of her poems. Reverse cannot befall that fine prosperity whose sources are interior. But you really, but this, but this, you really need to memorize. Reverse cannot befall that fine prosperity whose sources are interior. In other words, if the benefit that you get is something that is interior, you yourself feel a gratification over what you did. No one will ever be able to take that away from you. Reverse cannot befall. It cannot be undone. But if you are dependent upon recognition, the prosperity, the benefit of the act that you do comes from externally, not internally. From outside, that can be taken away. That can be shortchanged. Because here's the truth. Any act of kindness, any act of charity, any act of compassion makes you into a different person, of course. And is extremely important. But this kind of an act makes you into a person whose life will be different for the following reason. A person who receives gratification and satisfaction from knowing that they did the right thing when no one else knows about it, that person is able to live a life that is different than a person who is receiving recognition for what they did. Because when your gratification comes internally, your own sense of feeling satisfaction and gratification because you know what you did is right and no one else knows about it. If you don't have that, you will always be disappointed. If you depend on recognition, 
and thanks. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be the right amount or the right time. You will always find fault. And you will never be happy. If you can transform yourself into the kind of person that does not need external recognition or thanks, you will live a different life. You will go through life differently. You will have a sense of accomplishment that is incomparable to the other way. It's not just that Mes Mitzvah is a bigger act of kindness, a greater act of compassion. That's not the reason. It's because it is a transformative act of kindness. It will make you into a different type of person who will lead a different type of life. And that transformation is what calls for the exception to the general rule that applies to a Kohen. For an immediate family member, God forbid, and for the kind of act of compassion that can change your life and how you perceive the rest of your life. That's why that's the only other exception. One more time. I want to make sure you memorize it. Reverse cannot befall that fine prosperity whose sources are interior. Work on the sources of your gratification being interior, not exterior. You'll lead a different life. The, the Talmud teaches this law based on this pasuk. Yeah. That you don't have to listen to the shofar if you're a kohen. That that's discussed in the Talmud. Yes. Oh. If the only way to fulfill that mitzvah is to do it by becoming tamei, then a kohen does not fulfill the mitzvah shofar. And any other positive mitzvah. Okay. Last piece I want to share with you tonight. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because he cannot say thank you. Okay. Yes. Yes. To his children. But that's the idea. But the classic example is where there is no one else to take care of this body. It's simply laying in the open, and um, and 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 you are the only one that could take care. Of it. Okay. I want to share one last piece. So. I'm sure you're following the news of Bill 21, this proposed legislation here in Quebec. We can still wear keepers here, right? <laughs> in the show? Maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't be so sure. We might have to uh, invest in a large number of baseball hats. 
the rest of us are fine, but you're, you're in a position of authority. So, <laughs> <laughs> I did, so they're going to put me in jail first. I understand. I'm going first. Right. You spoke. You spoke. I have testified. Right. I, I've testified. I've written. I've participated in coalitions uh, against this, and uh, we continue to do so. And Right. right. That's very true. Okay. What I want to share now is something, another aspect of this subject, but it's something that is internal. It's among ourselves that we need to understand about this subject. So if you turn, please, to page 680. Page 680. So I said to you uh, uh, a few minutes ago, last week's Torah portion is addressed to the entire Jewish people. We just saw a section of this week's Torah portion addressed only to a Kohen. Now, in the middle of the Parsha, we return to rules and laws that apply to the entire Jewish people. And if you look at the bottom of the page, Pasuk number 32... Well, start with Pasuk number 31. The Torah says, Ushmartem mitzvosai, God says to the Jewish people, Observe my commandments. Vasisim osam, and perform them. Ani Hashem, I am God who is commanding you. Observe the commandments. Pasuk 32, Kachi. Do not defile or desecrate my holy name but rather v'nikdashti, but rather I should be sanctified besoch b'nei Yisrael among the children of Israel. So there is a mitzvah called kiddush Hashem to sanctify God's name and there is an avera, a sin called chilul Hashem to desecrate God's name. Okay. Very important mitzvah to sanctify God's name very serious sin to desecrate God's name. It applies to everybody. But if you look back at the beginning of the parsha, go back to page 672. Now we're back at the beginning of the parsha. This is addressed only to Kohanim, only to the priests. Pasuk number 6. Kedoshim yiyu lelo kehem. The the Kohanim, the priests, should be holy, extra holy. I guess everybody is holy, but some are more holy. Kedoshim yiyu lelo kehem. A Kohen, through the various laws that apply only to a Kohen, should be holy to Hashem. Vulo yichalu shem elohehem. And they should not desecrate or defile the name of their God. It's a very strange thing. We have a pasuk later on that, that that applies to the entire Jewish people: sanctify God's name, do not desecrate God's name. Then we have a pasuk that applies only to a kohen that starts out by saying, "You're more holy," but then repeats, "Don't desecrate God's name." Number one, 
why do you need a separate Pasuk addressed only to the Kohen if you have a Pasuk that's addressed to everybody? Kohen is included in everybody. And number two, if a Kohen is more holy, why do you have to have an extra warning not to desecrate God's name. Obviously, the more holy you are, the less likely you are to desecrate God's name. So it's very strange that there should be this Pasuk that's directed to a Kohen that's already covered by the later Pasuk that's directed to everybody. So I want to share with you an answer that has a very important lesson. It's an answer that's developed by Rabbi Moshe Sternbach. And it's based on the words of the Rambam, Maimonides. The Rambam says that when it comes to sanctifying God's name and God forbid not desecrating God's name, everyone is not equal. Different people have different levels of responsibility because the greater you are the higher the standard you have to follow because the greater you are the easier it is to desecrate God's name for example the Ramam says as follows there are a number of different categories of what it means to sanctify God's name and not to desecrate God's name. But one of the categories is to sanctify God's name means to do actions that other people see you doing and they say, wow, to be a Jewish person, a religious person, that's a great thing. God must really be great to have people that are so wonderful that follow His commandments. That is a sanctification of God's name. And the desecration is the opposite. You see a person and they act in a negative way and a person says, who would want to be like those people? What kind of a God is it who gives commandments and the people that follow them act in that terrible manner? That's a desecration of God's name. Says the Rambam, when a person is of a higher level of piety or religiosity or sanctity, that person may do certain actions that even though technically they are not sins, they cause a desecration of God's name. For example, <coughs> the Talmud gives an example. A person who doesn't pay their bills on time. Okay, listen. You do business. Somebody owes you money. Okay. You go a while until you collect your money. But when the person who owes you the money is known to you as a particularly pious or religious or holy person and they do it, then all of a sudden it becomes what kind of a religion is it that has people that does such a thing? how you drive. You cut somebody off. Under normal circumstances, all right, what could happen? 
They'll shoot you. All right, fine. But if you're a religious Jew, you see a person in a car and you can tell that he or she is a religious Jew, all of a sudden it becomes, oh, the Jews, what kind of horrible people they are. Double parking. Double parking, (laughs) talking on a cell phone, all kinds of things. So the standard depends on who the person is. And that's the reason that a Kohen who is more holy has an additional responsibility to be careful not to desecrate God's name because an action that he does might desecrate God's name whereas a not-so-holy person who does the same thing might not desecrate a person God's name. So I want to tell you a story. It's an amazing story. I've told it before. It's a story that is printed in a book by uh, Rabbi Spiro. And it happens to be a story about somebody that I know. In fact, somebody that I am related to by marriage. And it's a story about a man whose name is Yehuda Kleinbart, who lives in Borough Park. My nephew is married to his sister. I had the privilege to know this fine man. He lives in Borough Park, a religious Jew. You see him, you know. He has a beard, a black hat. You can tell that he's a religious Jew. At the time of the story, he and his wife had five children and his wife was expecting. Lived in Borough Park, but the hospital that he was planning to use, that his wife was planning to use to give birth, was Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan. By the fifth, sixth child, sometimes it happens that the labor goes very fast. You have to get from Borough Park to to Upper Manhattan. It's not so simple if things are moving fast. One morning, his wife says, Yehuda, it's time to go. We got to get moving. But it was 8 a.m. Middle of rush hour. And they get to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Now, I don't know if you know the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. I know the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. You get there at 8, 8.30 in the morning, you're not going anywhere fast. <clears throat> but you understand the baby is not waiting. So, if you know the tunnel, you'll understand what I mean. There's a lane for traffic. And it's blocked up. It's not moving. Then there's another lane for buses. A separate lane for buses. Of course, there are police to monitor that you can't go in that lane. But it, that but that lane is empty. So he's desperate. His wife, it's coming. I mean, it's coming. So he pulls into the lane for the buses, avoids the toll because there's a, you have to stop and pay a toll. He avoids the toll because he's in the bus lane. The buses don't pay tolls. 
he avoids the toll, goes through the bus lane, and zooms through the tunnel. Now, of course, as soon as he gets to the other side of the tunnel, there's a policeman waiting because the police on this side radioed ahead, somebody is driving in the bus lane. So they stop him. And he says, my wife, my wife, I have to get to Mount Sinai Hospital. So the, the policeman says, why didn't you tell us? We would have given you an escort. We would have taken you up. Go ahead. Go, go, go. Okay. They go to get to Mount Sinai Hospital in time. She gives birth. The baby is healthy. Everything is fine. That night, Yehuda Kleinbart drives back home to Burma. So when he goes through the tunnel back the other way, so there's they're collecting tolls and you need a coin to pay. So Yehuda takes out two coins. The toll collector says, what are, what are you doing? Yehuda says, well, I was here this morning and so I want to pay the two coins. The toll collector says, was it a boy or a girl? <laughs> so Yehuda says, how do you know? Now listen to this. So the toll collector says, because they told us from the previous shift that a guy like you was going to come by and pay two tolls. Now understand what that means. That means that in the morning, whoever saw this car avoiding the toll, and I mean, it's going fast, right? So how, 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 how closely could you look at it? But somehow notice there's a religious Jew in that car. And somehow the association that was automatic, it, it was automatic was, if there's a religious Jew that zoomed through and didn't pay the toll, I guarantee you they're going to come pay it on the way back. That's Kiddush Hashem. Right? That's a sanctification of God's name. But I want you to hear this. To wear a kippah or any other outward sign of being religious is a right in Canada. And it is a right in Quebec, notwithstanding what the present government is trying to do. That right should be protected for everybody. But now let's talk among ourselves. It's also a responsibility. Because if you're going to wear a kippah, or in some other way make it apparent to those who see you that you are a religious Jew, you have a higher level of responsibility in how you act because it is easier, God forbid, for you to violate the prohibition of desecrating God's name in how you act. The more outwardly religious we appear, the higher the standard of our behavior must be. Even in those areas that are not clearly prohibited according to Jewish law. 
if it simply gives the impression to someone else that we are not acting properly, there is a greater responsibility when we wear a kippah or some other outward sign of religiosity. So keep in mind, it is a right, it should be protected. But for us, we need to understand, it also brings with it a responsibility to sanctify God's name at all times and never, God forbid, to desecrate God's name. I wish you a very